You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. What's up? How you doing? Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talking. But I mean, the Nick and Nolan Show on Buffalo Rumblings. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And, and the reason I was so confused just a moment ago is because I'm not with our normal co-host, Bruce Nolan. Instead, I have another gentleman with us. Why don't you re- reveal your identity? Well, I'm not Bruce Nolan. I'm Patrick Moran from the Talking Buffalo podcast. Well done, too, by the way, at the beginning. I was always confused. I was going to say, and I'm Bruce, and you can follow me at <laughs> Bruce Exclusive. Yeah, right, right. Where, where can the people find you on Twitter, Pat? Um, at Pat Moran Tweets, and I'm always on Twitter. I say it all the time. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't email me. If you want to find me, find me on Twitter. I'm always there. All right. Wonderful. Well, Pat, a lot of people who listen to this podcast know you. You know, you've been gracious enough to have both Bruce and I on your podcast, the Talking Buffalo podcast, formerly known as Moranalytics podcast. And uh, it's this is one of the first opportunities that you're getting to be the guest, right? Because on, on your podcast, it's primarily... Well, I'll let you describe it. How would you describe your podcast if you were telling somebody about it who had never listened to it? For the most part, I mean, it can vary sometimes, but it's almost like a light night talk show from my perspective, meaning that I constantly have different guests. Like you and Bruce have built up a very good rapport. You guys do your show together every week, whereas I have more of a variety show where I have different guests on every uh, episode and I have two episodes a week, Tuesday and Friday. So I have some people on from the world of sports media some athletes. I've had a couple entertainers here and there. And basically it's just a different guest every time and different topics. And it's not always necessarily about sports. We just talk about that person, their background, learn more about them, give fans a chance to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, get to know some of these personalities beyond just the work they do. It's a, it's a very fun format and it, it works for me. I like doing it a lot. It kind of keeps things at least mentally, if nothing else for me, a, a little more fresh. Now, don't get me wrong. I have some people that I have on quite often. You guys, I've had Bruce on, I think, like three times over the last two months. That's because a lot of Bill stuff is going on. But yeah, man, it's a, it's just a variety show. And I, and I aim to do something a little different 
than what you would hear on a typical podcast, which is just give uh, fans an opportunity to know more about the people that they follow for whatever reason, for whatever they do. And it does have a specific Buffalo, you know, tilt to it, right? Sure. Absolutely. But not always, but most of the time, yes. Uh, it's kind of like my way to stay connected to my hometown, even though I'm currently not in my hometown. But yeah, it's a good way for me to kind of stay connected for sure. Well, let's let's go ahead and give you the opportunity to be the guest on your own show. I'll do my best possible effort at, at being a good interviewer and allowing you to answer some of the kinds of questions that you ask your guests when they come on your podcast. And I, I enjoy your podcast. Yours is one of the ones I, I make time to listen to every week. And I'm not saying that to you know, fill up your, your head with air. There's a lot of podcasts that I'm friendly with the people who are on it and I, I like them and I do listen, but there's just no possible way I could listen to everybody every week. The Pat Moran podcast, unless you're having on somebody who I just truly have absolutely no interest in, I always make time to listen to, uh, to your episodes. And there's only been a couple of times where, you know, like for example, I'll just be, you know, I don't think you're really going to care, but the, uh, like the reality TV show singers, I've never watched those shows. I don't know the. I don't know those people. I don't really know. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't even have a face in my head of who they are or what they do. So those ones I steer clear of, but otherwise I'm a, I'm a big fan of what is now the talking Buffalo pod. So I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to be your own, uh, your own guest. If that'll work with you. It does. And I'll tell you what, I, it's kind of like for a lot of years, I was a bartender and my friends would come see me at the bar, and I always thought it was cool that they'd come see me, but it was always more fun for me to be on the other side of the bar with them. So I kind of feel like doing this with you is that opportunity to be on the other side of the bar. And I'll tell you what, real quickly, too, those reality TV singers that you're talking about, I will openly admit those were my self-indulgement episodes. Those were people that I was a personal fan of when they were on their shows. One was from The Voice, one was from American Idol. I really enjoyed having them on. And I really didn't care at the time how many people listened to my episode of the podcast. It was just a really good opportunity for me to get to know them and chat with them. So yeah, man, it's a, uh, you win some, you lose some, but I, I get what you're saying. It, it's always, and that's the thing about having the kind of podcast like I do. It is at times, at least anyway, guest dependent. Not everyone's going to love the guests that you have on. And that's kind of, you know, it's just the way it goes, but you win some, you lose some, man. Yeah. And it's nothing personal. It's not like I'm not going to come oh, back for the next episode. So, yeah. All right. So, Pat, you're you're from Buffalo. You're not in Buffalo anymore. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up in Buffalo and when you moved and what led to that happening. And, you know, give us a quick rundown of, of back then to now. And one thing I want to make sure I'm asking you to specifically hit on is that you occasionally on your podcast talk about how you wrote for quote unquote some rag back in the day. <laughs> and I want to hear about what that was and what, what you did with that and, and all that stuff. Well, all right. So I am Buffalo born and raised. I did live a little bit in New York City because my father and his family is originally from New York City. So when I was a very young kid, we were back and forth, like maybe my first five years or so. But by the time I was in kindergarten, first grade, we had settled into Buffalo for good. So I am definitely Buffalo born and raised in terms of... uh writing for a couple of rags. I wrote for, for several of them. One off the top of my head, I remember, uh, I think it was like the North Buffalo rocket. I wrote for a local newspaper in Kenmore. When I was in my early twenties, I started my own little sports rag. And at the time, this is way before the advent of the internet and blogs and things like that, as we know, for 
online publications now. So I just had this little tabloid local newspaper. I shouldn't even say newspaper, local sports section of a newspaper. I just, I I don't know, man. You know, I could be honest with you all these years later, Nick. I wanted to be a professional sports writer at that time, but I didn't want to have to go to college and get a journalism degree and go through all those things to be able to do it. I just thought it would always be fun to have my own thing. So by the mid nineties, I was doing that. And uh, in fact, I could go all the way back, I think to 1994, I think when I started first doing stuff like that. And I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun and, and I learned a lot. I got an opportunity to cover games in press boxes at a young age. And again, this is way before blogs and podcasts and things like this. It was just a, it was a great experience. And I got a lot of opportunity to know some of the sports media people. In fact, to this day now that I still know. And then around the mid, early in the mid 2000s, I think it was, I started writing for scout.com covering the bills. And ironically, you know who my boss was? Nope. Tyler Dunn. No way. Really? Yep. He was very much younger than me, but very talented. Funny. I tell the story all the time too. Again, I'm older than Tyler and I knew right away. I was like, this guy's really good. You could just tell, sometimes you could just tell from talking to somebody or from seeing their work that wherever they're at, they're not going to be there for very long. Again, this was like scout.com, Buffalo Bills, each team had their own page, but yeah, I wrote, uh, under Tyler. So that was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, so on and off, I did sports media stuff. I started my own website in 2009. I did that for about five or six years. And then in about 2016, I think it was, my wife had an opportunity to, she works for a company in Buffalo. She's been there for quite a while, and they offered her an opportunity to move down here to Florida, promotion, transfer, whatever you want to call it. And we have a son who is a good football player. We kind of, you know, sometimes when you you have a kid, you can just tell what they're good at, what they're not good at. And I knew he was going to be, he'd be able to hold his own playing football. And I've heard my whole entire life growing up, you know, Florida and Texas is where it's at for high school football. So he was going into eighth grade. So the opportunity between bringing him down for football and for my wife to get a promotion down here, it was just, uh, it was too good at, at the time to pass up. And I'll tell you what, one other thing too, when you're from a city, I don't care what city it is, and you've spent basically your whole life in that city, and you don't know anything else, and you get an opportunity to go somewhere that feels like a different world, I almost feel like you have to do it. So that kind of played a factor into the decision as well. But anyway, that was in 2016, and uh, here we are today, 2020, and I'm living in Florida. I never thought I would have ever said that before, but I am. I'll be back at Buffalo, by the way, though. So, I mean, it's not, this isn't forever. This is kind of like a, a chapter in a book and um, just take it a day by day and enjoying it the best I can right now. But I do, I miss Buffalo very much. And that's a big reason why I, when I did the podcast originally, like you said, it was Moranalytics podcast. I really, I always had a bigger Buffalo theme in mind. And ultimately that kind of led to the name change and hopefully in the future, a lot more Buffalo things beyond just sports too. So and that might involve me ended up ultimately living back in Buffalo. So you've said a couple of times on your podcast, and you said it just now, that you plan on going back to Buffalo. Does your wife and your wife's employer know that you're going back to Buffalo? Or is that something where it's like, this is, this is we're basically keeping our eyes open for any opportunity to go back. And when you know, obviously you're, you're going to let your son finish high school, it sounds like, from what you've said in previous 
uh, things on your podcast. But is this like a plan that you, everyone's on the same page with that you're going back? Or is it sort of something where you're still waiting for the details to play themselves out? Well, I'm kind of admittedly maybe a little more ambitious about it than the rest of the family right now. So yeah, my son is going to be going into his senior year. So we're definitely going to be down there for another year for sure. And then I kind of think maybe what happens with him might dictate what happens after that. Like if he does, if he's afforded an opportunity to play college football anywhere, a bigger school, a smaller school, really doesn't matter where he ends up going to school might have an impact. In terms of my wife, she's a a Buffalonian as well, Lackawanna born and raised. And it's been difficult for her in some ways, a lot more than me, because I don't have a lot of family anymore in Buffalo. Like my friends are my family in Buffalo. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is very close to her family. And I mean, very close. They do everything together. They're that family that every Sunday during Bill's season, there's 25, 30 of them. They alternate houses, having a house party. So, you know, between things like that, uh, bear blast, holidays, birthdays, just a very close knit family. She misses Buffalo and, and she'd love to be back. But at the same token, she's also grateful for the opportunity that she has down here. I don't want to say nothing official, pretty confident it's all going to work out. <laughs> I mean, I, all things equal. Um, I think that she definitely would w- agree with me that we'll be back in Buffalo someday. Like I said, I might be a little more ambitious at this point in time than she is or, or that he is, but I'm just, you know, it's going to work out. Gotcha. So tell me about Florida. What is it? What's it like from somebody who wasn't there and now you've been there four years, you settled in, you obviously know the place. It, it seems like it's even grown on you a little bit. It has. It's different. I mean, you cannot be more different in Florida than Buffalo. And that's not an insult. That doesn't mean it's better. It doesn't mean that it's worse. It just means that it's different. I don't know, man. You know, Nick, I tell you, it it depends on what you like doing. Like, what are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing? That's what Florida will give for you. For an example, if you love fishing, if you love swimming, if you love being on the beach, if you love pretty palm trees, yeah, Florida's great. There's no denying that. And there's also so much to do. You never, we're about a little less than an hour from Tampa I live, about 90 minutes or so from Orlando. So you never run out of things to do in Florida. That's, you know, you can't deny that. Of course, it takes a lot of money to do a lot of those things, especially when you want to go around Orlando and do stuff like that. I don't know. It, the people are different. I would say the best thing about Buffalo compared to, I, I, I mean, I can only compare it to Florida because this is where I've been, I, but I feel like it would be like this way if you compared a lot of other cities or, or states to the Western New York region is that people in Buffalo, it, the community means a lot more. Like doesn't matter where you are. If you're in South Buffalo or North Buffalo or West Seneca, Orchard Park, wherever, Western New York is very community driven. Whereas down here in Florida, and this is no knock. I mean, there's a lot of great people down here in Florida, but Florida's more keep to yourself. You know, there's not, it's not community. It's just keep your nose clean, keep to yourself. Not to say you don't make friends, but you just, there's no community feel. You know what I mean? That you just, that small town, the little things about Buffalo that I miss, you, you can't get them down here. So it's just a lot different. The weather's fantastic. Like right now, it's in the mid 80s, no humidity. It never rains. This is like the Buffalo July right now because it's perfect down here. Now come summertime, that's a different story because it's too hot. 
it's too humid. You can never plan anything because it rains. I say this all the time. My son played little loop football in Buffalo for, I don't know what, seven, eight years, something like that. Never missed a game ever. There was never a game that didn't get played. Didn't matter how cold it was, rain, wind, snow, never postponed nothing. Down here, three years, I think seven or eight times he's had games either postponed or canceled because of lightning, severe weather. And that's all, like I said, the summer, the fall, it's just, it, it gets crazy. So the weather is definitely obviously different. I mean, everybody already knows that. But I would say the biggest thing is the people. I, I just keep coming back to that more and more. And when I always, somebody would say who comes down here, because my friends will come down here for vacation and they, again, it, it is a beautiful place to be at. I mean, I can't deny that. And they're on the water and they're enjoying life and they're at tiki bars. It's just, it's fun to visit. And then they'll say, well, what the hell? Why would you ever want to go back to Buffalo? But it, it is. And I'm not just blowing smoke up people's asses because I know a lot of Buffalo people listen to this pod, to your podcast. It's it, That's not it. It's really not it. But it, it's the people. It, it's just that community feel in Buffalo that I just think you don't get anywhere else. And it's certainly, and again, overall, not better, not worse. It's just really different than Florida. And the sports fans down here are the absolute worst. That I will say. I got no problem saying that. These are the worst sports fans I've ever seen in my life. And maybe I'm spoiled because I've been in Buffalo all my life and see the passion that Bills and Sabres fans have, whether they love the team or hate the team. Down here, nobody cares. Nobody cares. A Tampa Bay Bucks game could be on a TV at a diner or something like that on a Sunday at 4 o'clock. And I swear to you, Nick, you, you wouldn't even know they were playing half the time. It's that bad. At least it is. Maybe if they won more, it might be a little different. But they're just, I don't know, man. The sports fans down here, they suck. I'm just going to say it. They're terrible. How did you wind up getting connected with Buffalo Wins? Joe from NYC, who's a recurring guest on your pod. Is he somebody that you knew from the old days or someone that you connected with somewhere along the way during your sports journalism stuff? He is a blog. He had Buffalo Wins as a blog right around the same time that I was doing my blog, which was Buffalo Sports Daily. So we kind of met through those circles, met on Twitter, kind of hit it off. We have a very love-hate relationship. We really do. He's on my podcast all the time, and I talk to him all the time. And we're kind of like those two brothers who fight all the time. And I mean, we really do. We go at it all the time. We fight about everything. You, I wish it probably would make for great podcasting if I, you know, there's a term called save it for the mic, where instead of arguing... You don't do it and you wait till you start recording and then you let him, you just let it rip. He's that guy that I probably would fight with. <laughs> Literally, it would make probably for great audio if I, if I would just tape our fights. But uh, yeah, he's a good dude, man. He's a very opinionated guy. And I almost get nervous in a way having him on the podcast. Not so much anymore, but I did early on. Cause like I said, he's a, he's a hot take machine. Whereas I'm kind of not now. Again, typically I have a guest on my podcast, so I play more of a host. Now that doesn't say, that's not to say that I don't have a lot of input into what we're talking about and that I don't have my opinions. I certainly do. Kind of like with you and Bruce, to some extent, you know what I mean? You're setting him up for what content you're going to talk about and you're navigating the narrative of your conversation. And now you have insight and stuff like that, but you're not really going to be the guy who has the strong Bill's takes. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of more... That's Bruce's lane a little bit more. It's kind of how it is on my podcast, like with the guest, and especially with Joe, 
And again, Joe is, uh, <laughs> if he don't like somebody, he's going to let you know that. I mean, you see it all the time on Twitter. He's a little more tame on, on the podcast than he is on Twitter, but he can still get unleashed on the podcast as well. And so myself being, I do everything I can, or at least I used to, not so much anymore, I'm going to be honest with you, but I do everything I can to maintain as many good relationships with people in the sports media or just the media in general as possible because it's to obviously, you know, it's to my benefit. I don't have anything to gain by getting in these feuds with sports media people. It doesn't do anything for my brand. It doesn't do anything for my podcast. It doesn't do anything for me. Whereas somebody like Joe doesn't really give a shit. You know what I mean, he if he's got something to say to you, he's going to say it. And again, that's not necessarily me criticizing him. And some people might look at that as a compliment. But anyway, to answer your question, I've known him for a good I'd say at least 10 years, probably longer. One of my favorite hotheads. We'll put it that way. Do you think that the, so I'm going to make a statement and then I, I think you'll agree with this, but with the social media age and the, the onset of podcasting and podcasting being on phones and stuff like that, it seems like the sports world has gotten very flat. And what I mean by that is you talked about how you wanted to be in sports journalism but you didn't want to have to jump through some of the establishment hoops that most people have to jump through in order to get into the business. But you still were grinding it out, started your own paper, maybe like multiple wrote for multiple places, started your own website all before that stuff was, you know, five or 10 bucks a month <laughs> through getting a podcast and a website through the, 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 the outlets or the, uh, the infrastructure that exists today. Do you regret or do you feel at all like sad that all that stuff happened 10 or 15 years after you were really trying to do it and grind it out and now it's a lot easier and you know the opportunity for you to do that in your 20s isn't the same as it is in your current stage of life. Yeah, that's I completely agree with you 100%. And let me say this too. If I could I don't want to walk back what I said, but I'd like to add to something. It's not so much that I didn't want to do it. I Maybe that was poor warning by myself. I just, I got involved with other things when I was younger and I didn't, I wasn't a good student. Like I didn't, I was always, I always enjoyed writing. When I was a kid and all of my friends were on the street playing sports, I was that guy who was keeping stats. I was always doing stuff like that. I was cutting out with scissors, making newspaper articles and making my own magazines by cutting pictures out of the newspaper and using scotch tape to put them on and handwrite around them. So I always knew when I was a kid, like a lot of, a lot of my friends grew up wanting to be a center fielder or to, you know, play wide receiver, quarterback, whatever. I grew up wanting to be a sports journalist. And then when I got to a certain age, I realized, well, I didn't realize I just wasn't a good enough student. And when I, I went to college, I went to Duval College in Buffalo for about a year and a half. And I just, you know, I, I just farted around, man. I, I was, I was stupid. You know, I just didn't care. I was more into girls and partying and doing stupid shit. And then I started bartending. I, my uncle had owned a bar and I started out as a bar back in North Buffalo and eventually became a bartender. And I kind of just gave up on school and essentially, without realizing it at the time, because things were moving so fast, kind of gave up on my dream. And I never ended up going back to school, not making up any excuses here, because this is my own fault and nobody else's. But my father passed away when I was 19 years old. My mother and I 
didn't have a good relationship after that for quite a while. Didn't really have a lot of family. I didn't, like I said, when I was talking about my wife having this very close knit family, I didn't have that luxury when I was younger, especially in my early twenties. And I, so long story short, I never just had the motivation or the financial means to go back to college. I always knew that I should go back to college, get a degree in English or journalism. And I knew talent wise, I'd be good enough someday to write for a newspaper like the Buffalo news or something like that. Cause that would be my dream. I just never was able to, to be able to afford it. I just never found the way to swing it. So I decided that I would grind it out and yeah, sure. And I, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit here because I was doing sort of the thing that people do now many years ago before this became fashionable, having a podcast or, you know, having a blog on the internet, which by the way, is so much more accessible and easier to do now than it was back in the day. Because back in the day, tabloid newspaper printing was not cheap. You know, you had to have a computer and you had to do a lot of physical work and then you had to get your stuff printed. You had to get it distributed. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And I always enjoyed doing it. I always wanted to be like a lot of the guys that I kind of, I don't want to say grew up admiring because I'm the same age as a lot of them, but I've always admired them. And the cool part about what I do now is because of the podcast and just the stuff I've done, I've had an opportunity to rub elbows and in some cases even work with a lot of these people that I've admired for 15, 20 years or even longer. You know, real quick to another story here. Circling back to reality TV singers, a lot of musicians don't like those type of singers because a lot of these people were out grinding in clubs, getting rejected at record label after record label before they finally caught their big break. Where in today's world, you could be a nobody and go on The Voice or American Idol and three months later, the whole world knows who you are. I kind of feel like that's what people have an opportunity right now when it comes to this form of media, especially with through social media. If you're good and you're, if you're talented and if you're motivated and driven on social media, you can really build a name and a brand for yourself. You don't necessarily have to be a college graduate anymore. You don't have to go the old school route. You don't have to have the way paid for you by other people so much anymore. And I think to at least some extent, there's some mainstream media people out there that even to this day, now the relationships are probably better than they've been in a while, but there's still enough media out there that kind of resents people like that. I'm probably one of them too. I mean, some people might resent me for that. I'm all right with that. <laughs> I mean, I, the biggest thing that I admire about your story is just that you did it when it was so much harder. You did it. I mean, a, a, what feels like a gener a media generation ago, you know, not a legitimate generation, a family gener generation, but like a generation of content creation ago you were doing it when it was a lot harder i don't mean to cut you off nick but uh, let me i, I gotta because you just said something that really struck a chord to me you are right and thank you for that but at the same token i'm also a cautionary tale as well and let me explain that now older people or people that have been following buffalo sports for at least 10 years maybe longer they might know what I, i'm talking about here and i'm kind of gonna out myself and call myself out a little bit because Let's use my website for an example. I started Buffalo Sports Daily in 2009, and I remember that very well, and I'm very proud of it. I worked my ass off. I, I, don't, I hustled to get interviews with meaningful people. Like I had Daryl Talley and Eric Moulds exclusive interviews within the first three months of having a blog where neither of these guys had ever even heard of me before I did that. So I built a name. I did a lot of good things. 
that's the good part. But I just talked to you about shortcuts and not getting, not going back to college, not getting a degree, not knowing the business, but still wanting to be in the business anyway. And that could be a bad thing. And it could come back and bite you because in 2011, Sean Merriman, something happened with him at a border. And I'm sure a lot of people already know what I'm talking about. And I'm not going to go through and rehash the entire story. But I had gotten a call from somebody that I knew that shit was going down with Sean Merriman. He'd been detained at the border. Steroid stuff, suspicion of, I should say, at least. Anyway, here's the point that I'm getting to. I messed it up. I took, I took facts and presented them so badly, so in such amateur fashion that, and also I wanted to rush to get something out because I knew I had a bunch of friends at the Buffalo News. I knew that the Buffalo News was going to be doing something on this. So I rushed it. I didn't check with a second source. I did every mistake that somebody who's not educated, someone who's not a pro, somebody who is an amateur would do. I got the story out. It was easy to poke holes in because I just presented it wrong. It wasn't that the, the, the meat and the potatoes of the story was wrong. It's the way I wrote it. It was so easy to deny and pick apart that long story short, it fell apart and I got murdered. I got chastised. It took me three, four years to build up this really good following. And it took me about an hour to lose a lot of it. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of goes both ways with people who do this. You, you have to be educated. You got to know what you're doing and you, and you got to know the business because you could screw it up just as quickly, if not quicker than before you start to build anything. So anyway, I always tell people that because I, I'm obviously I'm not proud of it. And this was a decade ago now, but still it, it was my story to, to write. I screwed it up and, and I, and I paid a very heavy price for that. It was kind of, when it came to my blog, it was never quite the same after that. So, you know, I'm out of myself here on your podcast, just so you know that. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I sort of knew that you were the guy who had the Sean Merriman stuff first, but I did not know all of the other details. I was more, I, cons- yeah, I was more concerned, Nick, about having it first than having it right. Again, I knew 90% of the facts, but I did such a poor job of writing it because I was so scared that I wasn't going to be first that I ended up screwing some stuff up, not double checking things and throwing it out there before I should have. And because of that, yeah. So. Hmm. What is your favorite thing about what you're doing now with Talking Buffalo podcast? You have a YouTube channel too, I know. So Talking Buffalo YouTube channel, but what's your favorite thing about what everything that's going on under the Talking Buffalo umbrella now? Two things. The process to me is still fun. It could get a little wearisome at times. And I'm sure you know this too, because you do a lot of the same things that I do as well. But the process is still fun. Now I do my show twice a week and people hopefully when they tune in for an hour, maybe a little bit longer, they get some enjoyment out of it. And you know this as well as anybody. A lot of work goes into those shows from writing out notes to planning the episode in your case with Bruce, you guys are getting together, then you record, and then you do your editing. In your case, you add in some fun sound clips, Giggity. which that's too much work for me, so props to you for that. And that's one of the strengths of your show. It's a lot of fun to listen to those, by the way. But anyway, you do a lot of post-production and then getting it out, promoting it on social media, so that just that entire creative process. And then literally, as soon as you hit send, 
and it's out, that post is scheduled to go out that next morning or whenever you schedule it for, you're immediately on to the next one. So I really like the process of doing it. And then the other thing I like about, at least I could say with my specific podcast, is I love giving an opportunity, not just giving fans an opportunity to know about some of the guests, but me myself getting an opportunity to learn more about people. I really like having conversations with people. I say it all the time. If I want to just talk Buffalo Bills, for an example, now this your, your show is primarily a Buffalo Bills cast, of course. If that's the case, you shouldn't be listening to talking Buffalo podcast because I'm not going to give you the quality of Buffalo Bills talk, at least not consistently, certainly not by myself. If you want that, then you should be listening to the Nick and Nolan show. You should be listening to the Bills beat with Joe B and Matt Fairburn. That's what they're great at. They're the best at that. That's not what I do. I like to have a conversation with people and I like to get to know them. And like I said earlier, I like to kind of peel back that curtain a little bit, find out where they grew up, how they got into the field that they did. I'll tell you, you take a guy like Sal Capaccio, for an example, Buffalo Bills reporter at WGR. Most More times than not, if you have Sal on your podcast, you're spending 85, 90% of that talking about the Buffalo Bills, as you should, because that's his job. That's what he does for a living. That's what he knows. But I have, I'll never forget this. It was my first episode, literally my first episode. I had Sal on. We talked for an hour and 15 minutes. I swear to you, Nick, I don't think we spent four minutes talking about the Bills. We spent the whole time talking about him growing up in Chictawaga, playing little loop football, some of the things he wanted to do in high school, what he was like in high school, why he went to Syracuse for college, what other schools he considered going to step-by-step for his career, which by the way, kind of mirrors mine in a way because he came down here in Florida. He lived in Florida for over a decade. In fact, he was a football coach not far from where I live now. So me and Sal talk all the time because he's very familiar with the high school football scene in the area of Florida that I'm at now with my son. But anyway, just that, you know, coming back, how he got into WGR because he wasn't full-time, the big Terrell Owens story, just a lot of things like that that I'll talk to Sal about has nothing to do with the Bills. And it's not just him, uh, Tim Graham and Joe Biscaglia or Tyler Dunn, all these guys, uh, Mike Harrington, I mean, you name it. That's the kind of format that I like doing. And I feel like I get a lot out of that too. It's not just hopefully the people that are listening that get, you know, a little something different from these guys. It's me too. So that's something that I really enjoy doing. And uh, there's nothing more fun for me than having a guest on that I really admire than I like, especially for the first time, because I try to go into my interview, not knowing a lot about them. So I can learn just as much as people listening. What is your least favorite thing? about having a podcast. I can make that more diplomatic for you if you want, because you know, <laughs> least least favorite's a little harsh. You know, I'm sure there's a handful of people who would like to be involved in podcasting and would be, you know, uh, disappointed to hear people who have something like what you do and what Bruce and I do say that it's, you know, burdensome in some way, but you know, it, it takes effort. And so there's times where it's inconvenient or whatnot. And I'll, I'll turn it over to you to share what your experience has been like. Yeah, sure. I mean, one of them you just said, it could get inconvenient at times. There's occasions where there's things going on that you would like to do, but it's the only opportunity. If you have somebody to interview and it's your only opportunity to be able to do that, you you can't do something that you would rather be doing because you're committed to doing it. So sometimes the commitment could be a little bit too much. Another thing for me personally, which I've kind of gotten used to, but I'll tell you what, I've done 
I think Nick, I'm on, I don't know, somewhere around 217, somewhere around that I've done that, that many episodes. I have hated for at least the first half, maybe more, the sound of my own voice. I could not stand, no matter who the guest was, no matter how good the conversation was, no matter how good the feedback would be, I can listen to my own episodes because I absolutely hated the sound of my own voice. So that was definitely one of the least favorite things about my podcast. And then the other one is, which happens to everyone. I mean, it's not just a podcast. I'm sure this is anyone who's ever had any TV show, a radio show, anything like that. You put a lot of work into it every now and then, and you feel really, really good about what you did. And you don't get any feedback. No one seems to care. The numbers suck for that episode. So that could be a little demoralizing at times where you feel like you put a lot of work in and you really like the way this, this episode turned out, but you just didn't get any feedback. You know what I'm saying? The numbers sucked. It could be a little demoralizing at times. So as, as fun as it could be at times having a podcast and, you know, it could also be demoralizing at times too. It could be, it could be a nice little slice of humble pie, if you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm sure you do. I do. I do. I know exactly what you're saying. What is the thing that you would say you're most proud of that you have done so far with what you're doing at Talking Buffalo and previously at Moranalytics? The guests. I mean, it's it's that for me, that's an easy answer. I, I've been very fortunate and, and very blessed to have just, man, I mean, a murderer's row of really good guests. And I'm 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 talking even especially the first year. And that's probably the thing I'm most proud of because again, I'm, I'm Patrick Moran. I'm not a mainstream guy. I had a blog. Then I moved to Florida. I started another blog, which by the way, when I moved to Florida in 2016, I started a blog, moranalytics.com. It wasn't a podcast. It was a blog. And the only reason why I did it was just because I was bored sitting around in Florida doing nothing. And I didn't even write about sports at the time, man. I was writing about TV shows and power ranking singles from the eighties and albums from the eighties. Cause that's stuff that I love doing. I just, I got a hunch. It was early 2018. I just, I was watching YouTube and I listened to a couple other local podcasts and I'm not going to name who they are because they're still around and they do good work too. But I said, you know what? I could do this and I think I could do it better. That's just my attitude. I'm being honest with you at the time. So I started studying on YouTube, getting, you know, what equipment to get, how to put together a podcast. Cause it's not quite that easy. I mean, once you learn how to do it, and I know you know this, once you learn how to do it, you can kind of do it with your eyes closed. It's kind of seamless, but learning the process of putting together a decent sounding audio production is not as easy as the average person might think it is. But anyway, I'm getting off track here. Here was my point. I didn't, except for the first two guests, when I decided I wanted to do my podcast, I reached out to Sal Capaccio and I reached out to Tim Graham because I've known them for quite a while. And I knew that if I can get them to commit to doing the show, that it would be worth it because I would have two really good guests right off the bat. And that would give me some of that instant credibility. So they both said, yes, thank God they did. And I uh, got off to a really good start. Then I started going through some more Buffalo sports media people. Jay Skirsky was on very early. Tyler Dunn, who at the time, it's funny, by the way, a lot of these people, and it was only a couple of years ago who originally did the first handful of episodes of the podcast. aren't with the same company. Like Tyler Dunn was with the Buffalo news at the time. Tim Graham was with the Buffalo News at the time. Uh, but anyway, I got some of them. And then I got Mike Harrington and some other guys. And then I got lucky. Ross Tucker was the first non. And I was able to use kind of like that Buffalo Bills connection to get him to do the show. 
And from there, I ended up getting Richard Dice from uh, Sports Illustrated. Again, he's now with The Athletic, but he was with Sports Illustrated at the time. That was my first, like, really big break. And then I had a couple more local guests. And then I don't know how I did this, man, but I got Adam Schefter to do the show. And not only did he do the show, he would, he did an hour and 10-minute interview with me, which I had never expected. So that was episode 23. So within my first 25 episodes, I was able to get guys like that. And Josina Anderson did the show not much long after that. And then I got a couple of Buffalo Bills like Don Beebe and uh, who else was there? Uh, uh, Will Wolford. A lot of former Bills. I got three or four other of the Super Bowl era Bills to do the podcast. So I got rolling pretty early. Jeremy White from WGR, Howard Simon from WGR. All these guys did the podcast pretty early. It kind of spread well and uh, got me off to a good start. So I've always been very proud of the fact that I've been able to get the guests that I've had on. And uh, they've shown me a lot of respect. And like I said, these aren't just 10-minute interviews either, like little radio hits. I've had a lot of these people have been doing uh, 45, 60-minute interviews. So... Yeah, man, I'm very proud of the guest. That's that's been uh my favorite part. All right, so this is primarily a Buffalo Bills podcast that you're on now. So let's let's take a turn and dig into some Bills stuff. You have been a Bills fan your whole life, I would assume, right? It's not something you came to, you know, later in adulthood or whatnot. Yeah, no, I've definitely been a, a Bills fan my entire life. Probably the second team that I ever liked. The Yankees were my first love. I grew up in a Yankee household. So I was probably about eight, nine years old. But yeah, by the late 70s, very early 80s, I was hooked on the Bills for sure. Yeah. What was it like for you, whatever season of life you were in, to go through the drought? Uh, (laughs) You know, that loser mentality for 17 years, really, it kicked in. It got to a point, you know, I just had a couple weeks ago on my podcast, it was a, a series we did Buffalo's the worst moments in Buffalo sports history. And a lot of them were games that happened during a drought, like the Dallas game that was just on ESPN a week or so ago, that 25, 24 game where Tony Romo do five interceptions and they still won. I, you expected it at that time. It got to a point where you just got so mentally defeated that you expected the bills to find a way to lose. And that was kind of, I don't want to say it was the fun of it, but it was the way it was. It was like, how is this team going to lose? And I'll tell you, it, it bothered me a lot because I felt bad in a way for younger fans who weren't around during the Super Bowl era because I was like, these guys don't even know what it's like to have good football in Buffalo. 17 years of being that bad. And it's not, it's not even that they didn't make the playoffs for 17 years can make an argument that 14 or 15 of those years, I mean, they were one of the bottom third worst teams in the entire league. It was, it was painful to watch. It was very frustrating. And it made me, the only positive I would say about the drought is that it really made me go back and appreciate the Buffalo Bills during those Super Bowl days a lot more than I ever did at that time. Because I think everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people who are Bills fans during those days, I think they really, at that time anyway, kind of took that team for granted. That's a really good point. I, I don't know that I've ever thought about ex- like specifically how the early 90s team is perhaps put on a pedestal, maybe even more than they should be or that they would be in, in – they would certainly more than they would have otherwise been. I guess I won't pass any judgment about should or not. We can save that for another conversation sometime. But certainly because of how long the drought was, when you have nothing else to enjoy, appreciate, or celebrate – 
you're going to revert back to that and it's going to become almost like calcified as true, true greatness, which, you know, it was four Super Bowls in a row. It's a record that's never been broken, right? All that stuff. So, but that's an interesting point. I don't think I ever thought about. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, when you go past, when you get past the four straight years that the Bills made the Super Bowl, and this is what I'm really talking about, where you really, as fans, and I'm including myself, absolutely took this team for granted is they were still good for several years after that. Now, not consistently every year. The, after that four straight Super Bowl loss, they only went seven and nine the next year. But then they had a 10 and six record and then they won 10 games again. Then they had a bad season. Then they won 10 games and then they won 11 games. So four times out of five years after the Super Bowl drought, they or the Super Bowl run, I should say, they still won double digits, but nobody really appreciated that at the time. And even the team that went to the Super Bowl four straight times, again, it's not that way anymore, but back in those days, especially if you weren't in Buffalo and if you weren't a Bills fan, this team was a choke. They were known as choke artists. I'll never forget Mike Lubica coming on TV and saying, please, God, no, not the Bills again in the Super Bowl. So, you know, you just you, you look back and, and you realize how fun it was to watch a football game where you never. Here's the thing about the Bills during that run. And I could go even not even just the years they made the Super Bowl, some years where they fell short or whatever. I don't think I went into many games, if it, any at all, thinking that the Bills were going to lose. If the kickoff was at 1 o'clock at 12.59, I thought the Bills were winning. So that's how you felt about that team at the time. And again, I think people took that for granted, whereas during the drought, and even, you know what, let's, it's even beyond the drought, because 2017, a little bit fluky, and then they only won six games in 2018. So I'd say pretty much everything this century before last year, because I think the Bills are a legitimately good football team last year. But you didn't go into a lot of football games saying, there's no way this team's losing. You know what I mean? That That's the biggest difference. And a lot of younger fans probably, maybe that'll change now with this team, hopefully starting to be good for a nice little run. But a lot of younger Bills fans out there, they don't, they don't know what that's like. Where were you when the drought ended? I was down here in Florida. No, I'm sorry. That's not that's not accurate. I was living in Florida. I'll never forget this, man. New Year's Eve, I was in Buffalo with my wife, my son. We came back, and like I spoke to you earlier about how close my wife's family is. Well, the Bills game, my cousin in North Collins had a big party slash New Year's Eve Bills finale, and we were at her house. And I'll never forget the joy when, when it happened. Andy Dalton does that touchdown pass. Eruption, New Year's Eve, one of the, you know, I would put that moment almost against anything the Bills did during the Super Bowl run. Just that moment. I'm not saying that team was nowhere as, you know, in the stratosphere of being as good as any of those Bills teams are in that era. But that moment, the way that felt at that time, the, the monkey off the back, 17 years, I just spoke to you about this team would always find a way to lose or something would always happen negatively against this team. That moment was just about as good as any single Buffalo Bills moment that I could ever remember. So yeah, I got to be, I mean, it was like two degrees outside. I remember that was freezing like crazy, but that absolutely was one of my favorite moments ever. Now, fortunately I got to, I was in Western New York when that happened. Didn't go to the airport though. Those people are crazy. <laughs> what do you think about, the Bills and where we are now, 2020, the McBean era, Josh Allen, all of it. How do you feel about where the Bills are? 
Well, the last thing you said is the one that matters the most because at the end of the day, they can add Stephon Diggs. I think they had a good draft. They got a number one receiver. A lot of people think that the defense should be better. They lost two good players on the line, but they signed three guys. Everything about this team smells like they should be good. They're the favorites in the AFC East, probably deservedly so. But at the end of the day, it's all on Josh Allen. And I know that's an easy thing to say, but it's true. He has to be better than he was last year. Now, having said that, look, this was a team that was 10-6 and last year. And let's not forget, they also played the Jets in Week 17 in a game that meant nothing that they didn't try to win. So by all intents and purposes, if this team even put forth half an effort to win that game, they're probably an 11-5 team going into this season. He doesn't have to be the best. He doesn't have to be an elite quarterback, but he has to improve at least a little bit. There's no glare. If he's above average this year, find me, where's the weakness on this football team? If the quarterback play is above average, if it's acceptable, where's, maybe I'm not seeing it. Where's the weakness on this football team? I don't see it. And I'm not just saying, again, I'm not a homer, Nick. I promise you that. I do not take a fan approach on my podcast at all whatsoever. But I don't see a lot of holes on this football team. I mean, you could take one specific position. Maybe cornerback two is a big question mark. It is. And there's a little couple little things here and there. But if Josh Allen plays well, this is a, this is a, a really good football team. They're not just a team that could win this division. They're a team that could do some damage in the playoffs. And I truly, and I'm not just saying it, man. I really, truly, honestly believe that. But I will say this too, and I don't want to get too far off topic of what you're talking about here. I really wish that the Bills would have done a little more at quarterback this offseason. Because for all the reasons I just said, I think this is a really good football team. And Andy Dalton was just out there. And I'm not usually that guy who floats around. Every time somebody hits the waiver wire, you're like, oh, he'd look great in the Bills. But Andy Dalton was a guy that I really would have liked to have seen them sign because my biggest fear about the 2020 Buffalo Bills is you're a a second week Josh Allen ACL away from being what? What is if he goes down and Matt Barkley is your quarterback for the rest of the year and you had opportunities to go out on a one-year deal and get an Andy Dalton or get a Jameis Winston. I don't want to say Cam Newton because I think that would be a problem in Buffalo, but you could have swung maybe a trade for a Nick Foles, somebody not necessarily to start. Cause I think Josh Allen absolutely is and should be the starter. But I think when you have this type of football team and you got a backup quarterback, who's already in his last year, and I'm talking about Matt Barkley here, and you have a chance to get a clear upgrade at a reasonable price. I mean, James Winston signed for 1.1 million. Andy Dalton just signed a one year contract with Dallas or 3 million with incentives at the most, it'll get up to 7 million. I feel like that's an opportunity that the Bills lost there where, and I get it. I know Barkley's good for the quarterback room. I know he's a good mentor to Josh Allen, but you know what? If Josh Allen gets hurt, is he going to be a good quarterback for 14 weeks potentially on the field? I don't think he's as good as Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. So that's my biggest concern, but I, I really honestly like this team a lot right now. What do you think about the Pagulas? <sighs> it's tough. Honestly, I've refrained, like on my podcast too, I've kind of refrained from having hot takes on them because I don't feel informed enough. I'm just giving you an honest answer here, and I'm not trying to be soft on them. I don't feel informed enough to know 
their inner workings. I know everything that's gone on this last year, especially with this pandemic, has looked really bad. I, it feels like for sure. I read the Athletic article, which is more about the Sabres, but it also included the Bills by Tim Graham and John Vogel at the Athletic about the Pagulas. It certainly feels like they've taken on more ventures than they should beyond sports. I mean, you got the Bills and the Sabres and you got the restaurants. You got other stuff going on. It kind of feels like they've spread themselves a little thin. And I don't know how I feel about Kim Bagula being the president of one major sports franchise, let alone two. But again, I, I don't have a strong take on it. Here's the funny thing. Everyone hates Terry Bagula and Kim Bagula for, if you're a Sabres fan. If you're a Sabres fan and you don't care about the Bills, you hate them. If you're a Bills fan and you don't care about the Sabres, they're good. Bottom line is, I think any owner, unless they're just evil, and there are, oh, trust me, as somebody who's been a New York Knicks fan my whole life, and James Dolan, that shitty-ass owner for the Knicks, I, there's terrible owners out there. I'm not sure that Terry Bagula is a, te a terrible owner. It all comes down to making the right choice. Look what happened with the Bills. They got McDermott. They ended up getting Bean because of McDermott. That front office is run very well, and they're a good football team, and you love them. The Sabres, bad decisions, man. Bad decisions. Bad head coaching decisions. Bad general manager decisions versus Tim Murray. Now Jason Bottrell. Phil Housley was a terrible hire as the head coach. It's just been a lot of bad hiring decisions at the top with the Sabres. And again, if you're a Sabres fan, you absolutely hate them. So I don't know, man. I don't have a strong take on them. I am grateful at least, you know, that they they definitely saved the Bills. Who knows what happens if they don't buy the Bills. So you do owe them a debt of gratitude. But let me ask you this. How long is that debt of gratitude? You know, how long does that last for? When do you have to start seeing results? Now, again, I'm not really talking about the Bills because we are seeing results, but they do own the Sabres. They own the Bandits. Who the hell knows how many teams? I don't even know how many teams they own anymore. But you know what I mean? At some point, it's got to stop being, well, they saved us from moving. Well, okay, they're making money. So, you know, it, it's a business. They didn't do it out of just kindness of their hearts. I don't hate them, though. Not, not as much as a lot of other people do. Do you think that there's anything to Terry Pagula sort of even self-advertising himself as a passionate Sabres fan? A, a hockey guy, right? Like he loves the sport of hockey. That was, that was the thing that, you know, when he, he cried whenever he bought the Sabres at the, at the press conference yeah. and all of that, it seems to be like an emotional connection to him, to the Sabres more as the bills were an opportunity to buy another venture to, that could be a business decision. And also I, I think that, you know, they do care about Western New York. Uh, that maybe I'm, you know, that, that's my impression. I'll say that. And that it was an opportunity to solidify the team being in that community. So do you think that there's anything to the fan aspect of Pagula and the decision-making that has made it harder for them to make, I don't know, clear, good decisions that brought success compared to what he's been able to do with the bills? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't know that I feel qualified to answer that directly, but I will say this. He's definitely a fan with the Sabres, and I think he definitely made some emotional decisions that didn't play out for whatever reason from hiring Pat LaFontaine, which to this day, still don't know quite what happened with that. But you had your run with Ted Nolan as coach. Phil Housley, of course, one of the all-time most popular Sabres in history is brought in although he had never actually been an NHL head coach before. And he said, 
his early 50s. So maybe that tells you a little something. When a guy's in his 50s and he's never had an NHL head coaching job, maybe that's not what he's supposed to be. And he was in over his head and absolutely was in over his head. So maybe he's made some bad decisions as a fan. I'll tell you this, though. If I do have a problem with Terry Bagula, it's, you know, you just talked about the Sabres. Where, where is he? Where now, now, not every owner needs to go in front of the media like Donald Trump does with the task force every day, well, at least until recently, every way, and, and sit there and hog the camera and ask questions. But where is he? I mean, you can't find this guy. He does not talk to the media. And, and I do have an issue with that, especially when you're making bad decisions and your team's playing bad and you're raising prices. Now, again, I know this is a Bills podcast and I'm kind of venturing in the Sabres talk here, but they raised the prices on Sabres tickets. They're losing. I don't, unless they change some kind of format coming back from this pandemic, they're not going to make the playoffs again, which would be for nine straight years. They're raising prices. They're not being accountable and you can't hear from the owners. So I think that soured a lot of fans. He, he, Terry Bagula is a fan who I think has made some bad decisions on the hockey side. Anyway, again, he hired the right person on the football side and maybe that took care of itself. So I don't know. I, it's tough to say he's got to find somebody on the hockey side though to to write the shit because it's bad. And I'll tell you what, the perception is really bad. You're, you're on Twitter all the time, so you know this. You're on Twitter. Terry Bagula's approval, what do you think his approval rated on Twitter is? I bet you it's under 30%. I would, Yeah, especially when it's connected to the Sabres, for sure. Not just in general. I'm giving him up to 30 because of just Buffalo. If it's the Sabres, it's probably under 15. So, I don't know, man. I, I You know, I don't, again, I don't really have a strong take on him other than I do think he's a, he is a fan. I think I think he's a little bit in over his head, and I just think, uh, although he's admitted, you know, he's not a, a a public speaker, he doesn't feel comfortable with a microphone in front of him talking to the press. But if you're gonna own a if you're gonna own a sports franchise, you have to be a little at least a little more accessible than he's been, and I think fans feel that too. How are you handling COVID and the pandemic and everything that comes along with it? Ugh, you know, it's. I don't want to complain too much because as we're recording, there's over 70,000 people that are dead and you and I are sitting here with two microphones having a conversation. So I kind of feel like you got to limit to, you know, you got to be grateful for what you still have. It's been, it's been annoying more than anything. I got to be honest with you, Nick, for me personally, it, my life hasn't changed too much because I've worked from home for the last, since I moved to Florida, I've always worked from home. I do my podcast from home. I've become sort of a, a homebody. Like I don't go out a whole lot. I don't go out to bars and clubs and much things like that anymore. So it hasn't really affected me too much personally. It has definitely affected my family. And again, I want to preface this by saying I'm still very grateful. Everybody's healthy. And that's all that, you know, ultimately that's all that matters. But my, I'll give you two examples with both my children. My daughter just joined the Air Force in February, goes to boot camp in Lackland, Texas, and graduates. And she was very much looking forward to having her military graduation. We were supposed to go down to Texas, be there for it. Very proud moment of her life, something she's wanted to do for a very long time. Well, you know, COVID knocked that out real quick. And then with my son, one of the major reasons why we've stayed down here in Florida as long as we have is because of his football opportunities. And up north, there is no real spring football, but down here in Florida, spring football at high school is crazy big. I mean, that's recruiting season. That's at a school like where my son plays, there's 90 to 100 colleges that come just for practices, 
during the three weeks in late April, early May, where there's football practice to, to scout these kids all up and down this East Coast here and on the Tampa side. And that got wiped out. So that's been a detriment that's making recruiting a lot harder. These coaches can't see these kids. So it's, it's tons of inconvenience. But again, when you look at the grand scheme, a lot of division going on, a lot of fighting. I'll tell you this right now. Now, Facebook and Twitter, they're both social media. But to me, they're two very different things. Like on Twitter, I mean, I try to, you know, have a little bit of sense of humor. But for the most part, I'm on Twitter to talk sports with people. I'm on Twitter to promote the podcast and just, you know, general conversations like that. Whereas Facebook to me is more personal. Those are a lot more of people that I'm friends with that I've grew up with in a lot of cases. And because of this virus and how it's being handled, whether you're on one side of the fence or the other, the division has been becoming one of the worst parts of it. I've honestly, I've had a couple of friends that I went to high school, people that I've known for 30 years that either I defriended them or they defriended me on Facebook recently because of the fighting. It's just, uh, it's a very frustrating time. And it's, it, it's, I don't see it getting a hell of a lot better anytime soon. And again, I'm not trying to sound all righteous here because that's just not really who I am, but it, it's frustrating, dude, because people aren't listening enough. That's not, that's not everybody, but people aren't listening enough. And I understand, again, I just told you, I have it kind of easy. I work from home. My life hasn't been affected much. I know there's millions and millions and millions of people out there that have lost their jobs right now that are going broke. They, the country needs to open, but you got to be, you got to be careful. And people are, I feel like are in too much of a rush to get back. And I, and I'm, and I worry that things are going to get a lot worse because of that. And you're just seeing a lot of ugliness in people. And you start thinking about so many people that sacrifice so much, whether it's healthcare nurses now, or even going back soldiers who have fought for our freedom, as corny as this might sound at times for years and years and, and decades and centuries. And people are getting pissed off because they can't stay in their house for four or five weeks without losing their minds. It's just, it's a very frustrating time. That's for sure. Unlike anything I've ever seen before. All right. Well, I want to wrap up by doing a mini lightning round. Are you okay with that? <laughs> you know, what's funny. Honest to God, I swear to you, this is my single favorite part of doing it on my podcast. I have never, ever thought about an answer to a question that I've asked if it was myself ever. I've got, I've got an extended mini lightning round. I went back yeah. and listened. I listened to even some of your early episodes and there are questions that you have retired from the mini lightning round <laughs> that I, I, I a, just a couple of them I'm going to hit you with, but here's one that's not a mini lightning round question, but it's something you talk about a lot. And I just want you to say, them. what are your top five TV shows of all time? Uh, well, number one is easy. That's definitely the office. That's for sure. I would say The Office, The Sopranos, I would say Seinfeld, those three are for sure. Game of Thrones, I would have four. Five is a toss-up. Normally, I would say Cheers, but I just got done binging Sons of Anarchy for a second time, and I really like that a lot. So I would, you know what, I'm still going to say Cheers, just because it's that classic sitcom from the 80s that I still think it's funny today. A lot of people might not agree, but I, I like it a lot still. Okay. Your favorite non-sports activity to do? Uh, you know what? Reading. I like to read. What kind of stuff do you read? Sports books. I'm not smart. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> golf books. Not a lot of, yeah, not, uh, not nothing really overly educational. 
I, I, it's just, I, yeah, I like to read a lot of sports stuff. Okay. Favorite all time athlete. Uh, God, this is tough. Um, this is what you put people really, through twice a week, I, every it, week, it Pat. <laughs> it is. It is. I'll tell you what, too. Again, it's my favorite part of the podcast and I don't let people know the questions ahead of time either. I really don't. So a lot of people get stumped and I am right now. You know what? Because they were my first team that I ever liked and I always wanted to play. I was a second baseman when I was a little kid. Believe it or not, not a mainstream guy much, but Willie Randolph, second baseman for the New York Yankees when I was a kid. Probably my favorite athlete ever. How did how did you become such a big NBA fan? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I like playing basketball when I was a kid. It was probably my favorite sport to play. I, this is very unpopular. I've said this many times on Twitter. I've said it on my show. I would take, if I was living in Buffalo and had my choice, Bills would be first, but I would take an NBA team. I'd get the Sabres. I don't care if they won the Stanley Cup eight straight years in a row. Get them out of there. I would take an NBA team first. Just dude, the 80s, man. Magic Bird in the 80s, it, it hooked me on the NBA, and I never stopped watching it. And not just them, by the way, maybe even more so than the NBA. Back in those days, college hoops, the Big East. I was absolutely addicted to watching ESPN every Monday, and I, they were on at least one other day, too, during the week. But I knew every player on every roster on every Big East team in the 80s. I loved college basketball in the 80s. Gotcha. Okay. Favorite city that you visited? Kansas City. Really? I covered a, yeah, I covered a Bills game there, uh, 2002 or 2003, something like that. I went to Kansas City for a weekend, had a good time. I was at a couple bars. You know, I haven't been to that many cities, so it's not like I can pull between 30, 40 cities. Like when I have these sports media people on, they've been all over the country because they've been to so many different cities. I haven't had that luxury, but yeah, the places I've been to, I definitely like Kansas City. It was a lot of fun. Your favorite middle of the night go-to snack? <laughs> uh pint of ice cream middle, yes uh half ben and jerry's half baked ice cream and it's not just middle of the night dude it's middle of the afternoon it's eight o'clock it's 10 o'clock it's whenever it's it's definitely my uh i have a lot of bad vices when it comes to food i i always say i'm gonna go on a diet i never can but that's one thing i cannot stop eating i got some in my freezer i just bought it about an hour ago too <laughs> what movie have you rewatched the most uh, probably major league. Hey, that's a good that one. That's you would like the yeah. sound bites I used in the most recent podcast. Then I, I heard it swing and a miss swings and misses. They're swung out and missed. Yeah. Right. Just a bit outside. Just a bit outside. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite bills memory? Um, well, one of them we talked about earlier was definitely making, uh, and in the drought in 2017. Yeah, I didn't know if that would be your top one or if you would have another one. No, you know, I would say the 51-3 game is definitely up there for sure. And I, I can't remember all the details because I was too young, but I sort of remember in 1980 when the Bills beat the Dolphins. And again, I was very young, so I don't remember all the details. But I know Buffalo beat Miami in 1980 at Rich Stadium. And the fans stormed the field and tore the goalpost off because they had lost to Miami 20 straight games. Can you imagine that, by the way, Miami for an entire decade did not lose to the Bills for a decade. But anyway, that was I, re, I was a very young kid. Don't remember it well enough to know details, but that's definitely right up there for sure. What's your favorite non-Bills sports memory? Doesn't even have to be a Buffalo sports memory, but your favorite non-Bills sports memory. 
Oh, God, it's a good one. Um, George Bush throwing the first pitch in 2001. I thought that was awesome. And probably number one would be, and again, I was so young, but I swear I sort of remember this, despite the fact that I was only six years old. Reggie Jackson with three home runs in the World Series. I can't remember if it was 77 or 78. It was against the Dodgers. I think it was 77, but Reggie Jackson hitting three straight home runs. I'll never forget that. That's what made me want to, uh, I, I just fell in love with baseball at that point. So that, and if I, I'm cheating here because you, I'm giving you like three. Anytime Barry Sanders played football too. Just love watching him run the football. What's a TV game show that you could dominate? Past or None. present? <laughs> uh, God. Only, I would say none, but family feud because I could be part of a team. So I wouldn't necessarily be a liability. You know, you might be able to withstand me not doing my end. I don't know what it is about game shows, but I don't know. Honestly, I don't know one game show that I'd be good at. Now, I can't believe I'm admitting that. That's pretty sorry. Now that I'm thinking about that. I, it is. It's kind of pathetic. I don't know, man. I, I really don't know. I, you, you got me. You got me on a question I probably have asked people a million times. I really have never thought about it. I would say Family Feud only because I can still at least rely on you, Bruce, and Nate Gary and somebody else to pull me out of the gutter. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Okay. If you were the best singer in the bar, truly talented beyond even what whatever talent you have currently, I mean, superstar caliber. And you were taking the mic and going up for a karaoke song. What's your, what's your tune to get everybody going? Well, I am absolutely a horrible karaoke singer, but I will say this. Barry Manilow, I write the songs is my shit, man. I love <laughs> if I'm, I'm known for it in Buffalo. If you ever see me up singing karaoke it's definitely going to be a Barry Manilow song. I have no idea. I love Barry Manilow. So yeah, I write the songs by the way. There are some good Buffalo sports media singers, and one of them is Sal Capaccio. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's like Sal could actually sing for real. Oh, I did not know that. I cannot sing whatsoever. So yeah, But anyway, Barry Manilow for sure. If you could only follow one person on Twitter, everything else is gone for you. Who's the one follow that you're going to have on Twitter? Oh, again, another one that I've answered that I don't even really know an answer to. Oh, um you know what? This is going to be a corny ass answer. And I, I'm going to have to accept that, but just because I first and foremost, I'm still a football guy. And just cause he's done my podcast for me, but I still can't believe he's done it. Adam, I'd have to say Adam Schefter just for that reason. If anything goes on in the NFL, I know I'm going to get it. So I, I got to say Adam Schefter. If you could have three dinner guests dead or alive from any era, who would you have? Oh, I should know this by heart, man. Uh, one of them is definitely Mike Tyson. He's just, he's the most fascinating athlete that I've ever seen in my lifetime. It's just absolutely fascinating how, how dominant he was at one time. And just even today, how, how different he, he is, but he's still the same in a way. I just, I, I'm such a big admirer of his. So he's definitely one. Olivia Newton-John, and I thought of this too before. I would say Olivia Newton-John because she was my first crush. And I just, to be able to have that on my list, to, to cut off, to, you know, to write that off on my list that I had Olivia Newton-John at my dinner table would be awesome. Third one, oh, man. Ah, God. I, I'm choking on my own questions here, man. Uh, you know, again, a very uninspired pick, but Tiger Woods. 
Mike Tyson, Olivia Newton John, and Tiger Woods. That's a yeah, that's a hell of a cocktail party. <laughs> yeah, that might not go too. Well. <laughs> All right, Pat. I, thanks for coming on, man. Was it what you expected? I told you ahead of time I was going to try to flip the script, and you were gonna, you know, you were gonna be the guest, and I was gonna try to do my best you impression. How did you? How did you feel? It's a lot of fun, and like I said earlier, man, it was nice to be able to instead of serving the drinks, it was nice to sit there and, and get drunk off of them for once. Yeah, it was, it was fun, man. This is good stuff. By the way, I'm gonna say this too, and I've said it on my podcast, but for people listening, you guys do an amazing show, on, and I'm not ass kissing here, man. I legitimately mean it. I'm such a big fan of what you guys do, and it kind of see, and it, I know it's not the case, but I feel like you guys kind of came out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Like over the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, we, like you really, you kind of were like laying in the weeds, and now it feels like everybody knows who you guys are, and it's really cool to see, man. You guys are good people, and again, when it comes to straight up Bills talk, nobody's doing it better than you guys are, and I mean that. Yeah, I appreciate it, Pat. It's very nice. We weren't, we weren't even on iTunes before March of uh, last year, so yeah. yeah, we we it's been a it's been a heck of a heck of a year or so. So, well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate your generosity, your time, and I think people are really gonna like this and. Uh, yeah, thanks. Oh, I appreciate you, buddy, man. Anytime. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs>